Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi. My name's Sam Moores. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with us today, we have Richard Tuttle. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are and what you do? Uh, Certainly. um, So I'm Richard Tuttle and I'm sat here in our lovely workshop surrounded by Porsches. And we, for the last uh, 40-something years, I suspect have been building, preparing, and charging around the world with Porsches. My father started the business. We, we are um, yeah, fully committed to everything, everything Porsche. Everything Porsche. And pre- predominantly 911? Or uh, have there been some others non-911s along well, the way? Look, yes. Ultimately, um, on any given day, 99% of the cars in the workshop will be 911s. Um, of course, we, we have some 356 heritage, so we've Restored a couple of roses and speedsters as of late. But yes, primarily, 911 is the, uh, the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk, take me back. How did this um, sort of begin? You said your father started the business, but your journey into it and also, I guess, the start a little bit of the business. Where did it yeah, begin? Very briefly, that can't, can't start this off without mentioning the old man, but he was a farmer, went to Australia, there was a drought, got a job as a VW mechanic. Okay. Uh, came back as a mechanic, started a business, uh, did some rallying, did London to Sydney in 77 in a Beetle. Um, and, uh, hang on, sorry, stop, stop for a second. <laughs> London to Sydney. Yeah. That's a long way, isn't it? That is a long way. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's done that three times. He won it in 1993. Uh, um, a slightly easier trip, I imagine, than in the Beetle. I don't think he, they, they didn't book a hotel between London and Sydney because they never got to the hotels in time. So it's just, they had curtains in the Beetle. They had curtains in the car, and they slept pretty much all the way in the car. So they finished. There's a great picture of him lying on a, on, a, on a rug that we still have in the house 
um, oh, wow. in Sydney. So no, an amazing story. But by the way, he, he'd never done any rallying up until that point. He just, he wrote to VW and said, how do I do this? And they sent him a manual. Good, good story. <laughs> amazing. Um, amazing. But, uh, I think that's, that funny enough, that spirit is still in the building. That's, I grew up with it. Um, and our, our attitude wherever we are in the world, whether it's on a, on a racetrack or whether we're in, in Kenya is, um, everything's possible. So, you know, let's just crack on and make it happen. Mm. And then, so he started this business and you you, I guess, were around cars, presumably, um, as a little person, yeah. seeing all this stuff going on. Um, well, then- yeah, I mean, look, I, I, <clears throat> I was born 50 meters from where I sit. Um, dad moved nice. here, literally dad moved here when he was 17. I've never lived anywhere else. Um, I've got an elder brother, a younger sister. My brother, bless him, I've got pictures of him in this, in this, in these workshops. Um, from a very young age, he was sent on the Granite City Rally with the mechanics when he was three. I mean, no wonder he hates cars. I mean, absolutely, he can't even fill them up with fuel. Um, <laughs> so I was lucky. He took the hit. Um, I, I had an interest in, um, and obviously, probably was sheltered from my father's craziness. But uh, no, it's been a thing, and I. I, I, we're lucky we live in the countryside. I rolled my first VW Beetle in the field up here when I was nine, I think eight or nine. Um, I had no chance. I was, I was in for the long haul, but I didn't come straight here, actually. Um, it took me a while to get here. So where did you go on uh, route? I, uh, I, I started as a gardener at ProDrive, um, the, the, the world-famous uh, yeah. engineering company, Subaru World Rally Team, all of that stuff. So I started as a gardener at, at 12, um, I wasn't great at school, so I got kicked out. Um, so I, I then built a few sheds on a farm, welding and all sorts of things. I worked on a few Datsuns with a, with a, with a mate. Um, and eventually then actually ProDrive um, supported me through university. I did some driving with them. I, I was a, a technician on world championship events with them. So I had a good grounding. Um, uh, but finally, um, I, I was driving in America at the time, an American rally championship and that came to an end and the old man said, can I come and help him for one rally? Which ironically was the 2003 Safari Rally. So I, that was my first official, okay, I'm going to come and help the old man. Mm. Um, and now look. <laughs> <laughs> Not left. So up, up until that point, you were doing, were you doing some racing and stuff or were you just working and no, I, in that industry? No, I, um, I won the British Junior Rally Championship in 96, driving a Vauxhall Nova. Um, nice. I finished second in the production cup British championship in a Subaru in 99, probably uh, did a few world championship rallies with Subaru. I then drove in America um, with Mitsubishi and then and had one outing with Hyundai. Uh, ultimately, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't get there. Um, lots of reasons why and ifs and buts, but that's how life is. And at a certain point I decided I was either going to do something in the only way possible, which is fully committed. I wasn't going to do it at all. So I stopped driving. Yeah. Um, and, uh, in fact, I was, I'm hugely passionate about, um, buildings, uh, commercial and residential. So I was, um, I was restoring houses and having a great time. Um, and, uh, yeah, then as I say, the old man said, come and come and help. And, and, um, I never left. (laughs) So you went, so you went off to Africa um, yeah. What What did the operation look like back then? Because I imagine it's actually changed quite a bit. Oh, yeah, it's changed beyond 
beyond recognition, actually. And the, the biggest single change is, is the new building we moved into three years ago. But the, the operation in 2003 was five cars, which was still a significant number of cars. We, we become blasé about what we do these days, but five cars were serious. Um, I was a co-driver in one car. Um, I, I, I have learned my lesson now, finally. Um, I've co-driven for some great people, Voldegard, Jimmy McRae, uh, Stuart and I finished third in that rally. Chris Harris and I did a, a rally for M Sport, which was a, a shambles, but we won our class. And I co-drove for Martin Rowe on the Trans-Siberia Rally with Porsche. And I can officially confirm that it will never happen again. Every time I do it, I think, why the hell am I here? Um, but, but there we are. So, no, I was co-driving in Africa. And, and as I say, Stuart and I finished um, third. Stuart, Stuart was... Uh, has since been the chairman of the BRDC. He's a wonderful man, lives 15 miles away. Um, and we, we, had, we had an amazing adventure. And, and yes, he knows at times I really didn't enjoy myself. And we had some proper, <laughs> proper moments where, um, where you know, I was trying to slow him down because we were in a great position. He, he, he was swearing at me because he reckoned his granny could drive faster and she probably could have done. <laughs> but there comes a time in the safari rally where you are where you are and you can't, you can't beat anyone in front of you on pace. You can lose an amazing podium position. Right. So, so we got there, and I've, I've got an amazing, amazing memory uh, with Stuart, and, and it was a brilliant result on the podium. So that year, we finished second and third. Um, how does good start? How does driving in an event like that compare to other rallies or types of driving? Um, in, in terms of like you know, how fast are you going in terms of looking after the car versus navigating and what, what, is it, what does it look like? I think, so there could be a perception that it's all about survival and, and endurance. That's wrong. It's, a, it's, it's not a sprint rally, but it's close to, actually. If you look at the drivers who are driving then and now, um, you know, we've just come back with, with Ken Block driving for us, um, yeah. Patrick Sandell, a Formula Junior World Rally Champion, these boys are quick. So, yes, the car has to, to, to look after itself. We have to look after the car. But it's, a, it's an out-and-out competition sprint rally. Um, endurance in endurance has semi-disappeared uh, in rallying, full stop. Uh, Dakar, they have amazingly long stages. But it, make no mistake, all of these categories in rallying, they're on it. The, the margins yeah. are fine. And you have to have a bit of luck to win. Um, you have to have a very, very clean run mechanically and, and, and as a driver. So uh, the, the, the beauty about Africa, if I was to take you today to Wales and, and chuck you in a Welsh forest, let's say it was wet, mm. you've got to deal with poor vision, as in you can't see very far down the road because you've got trees all around you. You've got camber, crests, uh, mud, gravel. You've got all of this stuff. In Kenya, there's a whole load of reasons why it's easier there's a whole load of reasons why it's not as easy. But on the whole, I can take novice drivers to Africa in a good car with good co-drivers and expect them to perform really, really well. It allows okay. you that opportunity. And, and, and what's the difference? Is it you can see more? It's like the opposite <clears throat> of all of those things. Yeah. Conditions are similar. You, you can see a lot further. Um, the, the roads are less technical on the, in, in, the, in the sense that there's less cambers and jumps and hidden stuff. It's a little bit more technical in terms of you've got some incredibly rough sections, you've got washouts, you've got all of this stuff. So it's a bit of a generalization, but 
put it this way, we have finished in the top 10 with novice drivers multiple times, 10, 20 times in the, in the last 10 safari rallies. And if I took someone to a UK rally or let's say rally GB or whatever, there's absolutely no mm. chance you can finish in a top 10 because the pace is so fast and it's so technical. And the only way you can get to that speed is years of driving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that must also say a lot about the co-drivers and the support and the cars and, and all of that, that you can get someone through. So you're right. And my job with Stuart and the job that I ask professional co-drivers to do for our clients is we've got to manage them. We've got to manage their expectation. And um, if you bolt yourself next to it. So I always had an analogy when I was driving. If I could take a good co-driver or a brand new set of tires, I'd always take a good co-driver. <laughs> um, I mean, ideally, you'd have both. But if you had to make yeah. a choice. Um, and the, the ability. So this, this year, um, lovely client, Raymond Voss, done some GT driving. Um, he sat next to Stefan Prevo, or should I say Stefan Prevo sat next to him. Stefan is the most experienced WRC co-driver of all time. Okay, so he's driven with world champions. He's, 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 all he's done for the last 30 years of his life is sit next to people. You bolt him yeah. in, in your car, you concentrate on driving. Stefan manages everything else. It's just a world of difference. Um, they're incredible people. And uh, yeah, as I've, as I've already said, I, I never want to be one again. Do you have to... <laughs> With someone like that, do you have to sort of like coax them in? You're like, we've got this new person, but they're they're great. They're a, they're a really nice guy. Yeah. They'll listen to you. <laughs> yeah, you tell them all that bullshit. And then with a bit of luck, some of it happens. But no, listen, I've known Stefan for a long time and, and we, we, have a, we have a network of great co-drivers, great great driver coaches. Um, and thankfully, we, we genuinely have great clients. Um, mm. So they're a reasonable bunch. But if you then speak to and I'll get shot for saying this, but if you then speak to Ryan Champion, who sits next to Philip Cadori, Philip doesn't always toe the line, let's say. Uh, he's, he's a quick driver and he's, he's very, very brave. So, um, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't envy that job. And what sort of thing is the, the co-driver is obviously doing some navigating. You've got to go that direction, etc. And if they're super experienced, presumably pretty on top of most of that um and then are they saying like they're doing some coaching at the same time yeah again because safari doesn't have pace notes it has tulip notes so um in fact this year for the first time they had gps as well which is a bit of cop out um so there's there's, there's actually yes pure navigation are we going left right uh, and when are we going left or right or, or for what's the road condition because some of the bumps are marked some of the jumps are marked that type of stuff but it is essentially a blind rally so you have to always take that with a pinch of salt um and then depending on the co-driver depending on the driver um they either will accept a bit of guidance and they can and they actually they can absorb it or they can't and that's something that over a 10-day rally then you're gonna you're gonna build a relationship and you're gonna you're gonna get it right but as i say some drivers want um, coaching some drivers need it others may need it but they don't want it <laughs> it's yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. world of opportunity but um it works it's very very well proven now that we can we can we can match the right driver with the right co-driver and they can have a great time and the process of adapting to driving off-road from someone i, I imagine a typical entrance point to this would be you you might get someone that's done a bunch of gt driving i know quite a few people that have done a bunch of gt racing that have then come across and done some rallying um i think actually with you guys 
Also, Philip is an example. Um, who else did I have? Eugenio Amos, did he race with you guys? Funny enough, nothing to do with this conversation, but I saw one of his lovely cars yesterday. One of our clients drove into the workshop in one of his lovely uh, 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 Integralis. So what a cool thing. Oh, but yeah, nice. Eugenio's um, perfect. In fact, he's now completely... Before he came in one of our cars, he'd done some cross-country stuff, and I know he did a whole world championship last year with a view to doing mm. Dakar. Um, uh, COVID, COVID beat him to it, so that was a bloody shame. But no, look, the the, the, the in a in a funny way, I've now as a company we're doing more racing than rallying, more regularly, mm. and um, I've been doing some racing. Um, oh, yeah, terrifying. And I, <laughs> but what I can absolutely say is, racing helps your rallying because it tidies you up. Rallying also helps your racing because you understand what a car feels like when it's on the limit. So there's a there's a very very um, strong correlation, which may not be obvious, but I, I'd still say easier to go from rallying to racing than racing to rallying. Mm. Do you um, have to, yeah, you often get people when they talk about like drifting or something, racing drivers talking about trying to drift and they're like, I can't do it because I have to unlearn so why much would you, stuff. And why, why would you, <laughs> why would you have slip angle in a car? That's a pretty common, yeah, common thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get rid um, of it and carry on. However, I mean, you look at you look at F one F one cars. The cars are moving a little bit. I mean, yeah. And then if you look at MotoGP, nothing to do with cars again. Those guys back the bikes into corners. So um, there, there is a, there's a piece obviously about looking after your tyres. There's a piece about extracting the, the the most out of it. But of course, even in rallying, straightest is fastest. Mm. Um, uh, dull, really. But there we are. <laughs> I went. Uh, I've done a. a tiny bit of and i wouldn't even call it rallying like i, I did a, a morning in a an escort um at somewhere near, near silverstone um on bill Gwynn's, very I small Gwynn's rally school no it was a different one it was okay. very near i can't remember what it's called it wasn't that it was like silverstone the silverstone rally school, rally school or something anyway escort escort and, and, and rally school is a good combo yeah and um we had some brief sort of discussions before getting in the car and it was like the first thing was like well why do people and I, I, this just kind of confused my mind he was like well why would you might want to put angle on a car going into a corner and I was like well it looks cool who doesn't want to skid might help you get around the corner all this stuff and then and, and the sort of message came back was like well actually a lot of it is vision yeah, yeah. being able to see and if you can't, because if you can't see, you can't put your foot down. We, um, rally drivers. So again, there's two two forms of rallying. I mean, lots of forms of rallying, but there's a there's a style you will you will employ uh, with pace notes. So if you look at the current WRC drivers, um, they've got pace notes. They're, they're very very accurate. They absolutely trust in them, and they're driving to the limit. And those cars are becoming more and more more um, uh, like race cars. I mean, they've got huge downforce now in the mm. last couple of seasons that they never used to have well downforce is clearly tells you one thing they, they they want the car to be straight because okay well a world rally car can cope with some angle and the downforce will still be there to a certain extent but um it, it, if you're driving blind then absolutely you need to have the car floating because if you come up to a blind corner well does it tighten does it open what's what's happening and if you've got a car already moving then you can change its attitude very very quickly with a with a, 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 a throttle input a brake input possibly left for braking, which is something that's very common in rallying. So if if you've got a car glued to the road and you need to make it change direction very, very quickly, you've got to unstick it first. Yeah. But 
I think the principles of rallying have changed. And if you put a modern driver in an old car now, racing or running actually, historic racing or, or rallying, then they still want to make the car go straight. And 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 they're right. It is the quickest way. But um, there's there's lots of reasons why we drive like we do, and it will depend very much on the surface, on the information you have in front of you, and and of course the objective. Sideways is still a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And. So you've driven these cars, I mean, extensively off-road, let's say old 911s and, and a variety yeah. of stuff. Um, was it interesting at starting to do more track driving and having to change, you have to change your driving style and how the cars are sort of, set, obviously they're set up differently, but, you know, has that been an interesting learning experience of then like what's fast on track? It's been really, really interesting. And I don't know who in the world will have driven a 911 more than me off-road. I, I genuinely don't because I spend and have spent hours behind yeah. the wheel. Um, and you become a little bit typecast because a 911 is a 911. So if you put me in a, a BMW, I'm a little bit confused. because it's, It is pretty much the polar opposite. Now, it's interesting because my, my last bit of driving I did when I was, you know, when I was when I was a driver, it was all four wheel drive, and a nine eleven is funnily similar to a four wheel drive car. Um, but then, if you go circuit racing, and bear in mind, I'm always talking historic stuff. I haven't, but I will um, get in, get myself into a nine nine two cup car on a track yeah. soon because I'm really interested in that. But if I if I talk about historic circuit racing, which is what we tend to do most of the time, we have tyres that don't provide you with a much, much support. Um, I mean, the, the Dunlops we use, I mean, you can't even get onto the trailer without going sideways. They're that, they're that slippery. <laughs> um, so then then it's a game of trying to balance slip angle with, with forward motion, and there is a perfect balance. And one thing I'm very happy with is a car moving, so that's fine. But I'm so, so fascinated about really marginal gains and where you can... I've learned for the first time how if you if you get a corner right and you see a negative split on your V-box, you carry that speed gain all the way down a straight. Now, that sounds really obvious, but, you know, something I've never really considered. Yeah. But then when when I feel that, let's say, when I'm ice driving, I think, okay, if I come out of this corner straighter, then, then I'm going to carry that speed through. Likewise, if you get it wrong and you see a, a positive, you're like, you, you can't turn that positive into a negative halfway down the straight, so you've lost that opportunity. Um, I think, actually, my perfect form of racing is um, everyone in the same car, like this two-litre cup, which is amazing. Yeah. Same, very, very similar. Same. <laughs> same. Um, and let's have a go. Now, I, I, I can't set, a, I can't set a, a pole lap time, I don't think. I'd have, I really yeah. need to spend more time on a racetrack, and I don't have the time, so... That's a semi-frustration. But actually, just transport me into the middle of a 30-car race. Now I think that's that's where I where I might just excel because I just think it's great. But it's a completely different discipline, and I have learned that in the last couple of years um, thanks to some clients who really twisted my arm to drive their cars, which is something I've never, ever done. Yeah. Yeah, and how much angle... Is it if if I I know a couple of people that race in that series? Um, a friend of mine, o Ollie Bryant, is normally nice. bloody brilliant. Yeah, up the top end. 
And he's he's very clean. Though. Super clean. Super clean. And then occasionally you'll see some absolute hero laps from I feel like some Belgian dude. Uh, yeah, around, like, Pascal Pandelar. Yes. He's yes. the boy. Yeah. <laughs> just like <laughs> just all of that angle and seems to be reasonably really quick at the same time. I'm guessing it's probably not as quick, but looks great. Um, yeah. Where Where is that? Where's the How line? much slip angle in those sorts of cars can you have and still be really fast? And also, do you need to have? I think, so if I just briefly talk about ice driving where I spent mm. so many hours behind the wheel with... Um, a mate of mine and a, a former British champion, former World Production Cup champion, Martin Rowe. Um, Martin drives like this, li- literally with his fingertips. Um, I mean, it, it's staggering how smooth he is. So we yeah. spent, uh, when I say days, I mean months together, working out how quickly we can go around an ice track. And we can drive completely differently and be plus or minus the same. And he looks at me going, I have no idea how you do that. Because it's yeah. like we're going to crash on every corner. <laughs> Anyone who sat with me would probably relate to that, but I haven't crashed. Whereas he's so 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 beautiful, really, the way he yeah. drives. And I'm like, well, I don't know how you get that time. I think uh, over a race, Ollie um, has his car set up in a certain way. It, no doubt, his his tires are in better condition at the end of the race than someone who's sliding. That's yeah. that's just that's a fact. Um, uh, but so I think it's to do with two things. I think car setup is critical, and we we are continuing to uh, work on our cars. We we have brilliant one lap pace. We've yet to have a driver combo that can come up and beat Ollie and Andrew. Um, yeah, they're a brilliantly experienced guys, and I think that the series is set up with pro ams. We don't have a pro pro car yet. Well, actually, that's a lie. We do have now. Um, so so it's interesting to think about. But I think. You cannot drive these cars straight, but still, we really want to be as straight as we can. Um, I remember Martin Rowe, I'd spent another winter with him in in, um, Sweden, and he was criticizing my driving as he did every bloody day I spent with him. And I went to Costa Brava and I did a rally. And so I started started this rally in a 911, and Martin's um, uh, words ringing in my ears, right, I'm going to be a racing driver, I'm going to drive neat, neat, neat. And I got to the end of the first couple of stages and I was way off the pace and I was so yeah. upset. And I rang him. I said, Martin, you ruined me. So we <laughs> agreed on the road section whilst I was competing in Costa Brava that I was allowed a certain slip angle. And I think he, I think we got to 30%, 30 degrees, yeah. mate, 30 degrees. Anyway, in the end, I just ignored everything he told me and went back to my style. And I, thankfully, there was a bit of rain later in the rally and I won. But there is a there is a combo, and, I, and even in WRC, you, you drivers can't drive straight because yeah. um, the tyres are the limitation. But no, um, there's a fine balance uh, as with everything in life, and um, I, I haven't found it on the racetrack yet. But I'm I'm working on it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Eye <laughs> striving. What? When did the when did when did the ice driving start? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm awful with dates, but I'm going to say roughly. It's 15, 16 years old now, and I the, the reason it started was I did Sweden as a uh, in WRC, and I went out for some training with a with a with a client in in um, in Norway, and uh, I learned so much on that rally about driving yeah. because talk about sliding, talk about slip angle, talk about efficiency. When, when everything on the ice is amplified. So you feel it 10 times more than you do on yeah. a, on a, on a racetrack. Um, but so firstly, amazing fun, best fun in a car, amazingly safe. Cause if you have a shunt, you just hit a snowbank and you giggle, you get pulled out and you do it again. So you can really push and you can really understand the limit again. And you can't do that anywhere else, but yeah, we're, we're 16 years in and now we have eight cars for, Two and a half months, and people all over the world um, come come back and back and back. It's, it's the repeat. The repeat client um, uh, stats are amazing. Really I've done some, um, and actually, one year I think I messaged you and said I, I have a, an SC that's been backdated, and we were going with some friends. Um, you were on a road Sweden trip, or, yeah, yeah, we were mm. on a road trip, and we'd we'd ended up booking some ice tracks um as part of the thing and we looked like maybe we'd come and and stop in but that was those have we've done i think three or four trips now and then probably a couple of days on the ice each trip um and it's 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 just the most fun it's just more fun than anything else in the world (laughs) no it it you know, it is, and the one thing I always say at the start of that sort of question or that thought is actually just to be on a frozen lake without a car in the middle yeah. of Sweden, Finland, Norway, wherever we are, that's a huge privilege. Um, chuck a car at it, and I mean, it's just dreamy. We have this, so our ice driving is completely freestyle. There are no, there are no rules. Um, it's about driving, so it's not about one of these. So many driving experiences are about whiteboards and following instructors and vans and all this traction control systems and all that all that nonsense uh good nonsense but nonsense nonetheless um we we give you a car and and the idea is you drive it like you stole it um and we have some clients irish particularly they never even come close we have this dome on the lake which is sort of our sort of coffee place rest place they never even come near the dome for fear that someone might challenge them about anything, um, so they literally get, change change drivers because they share cars sometimes. Change drivers on the track and carry on. They never stop for six hours. I mean, they barely come in for lunch. Um, but we have again, we have amazing instructors. Um, you know, people like Mark Duez, who's a Belgian legend. There is, he's a guy who can drive a nine eleven. Perhaps he drew he drove um, the Bastos cars back in the day. And amazing guy. Yeah. But so we've got Mark Duez stood at the lake, going, "Hey, if anyone want a hand." 
And these yeah, boys yeah. are like, no, thanks, mate. We're not getting out of this car. <laughs> so we have that thing. If you come to us, you've got amazing instructors who will help you. But likewise, we're very happy for you just to charge around and be hooligans. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very special place to be. And do you have to do a lot of, um, like, what cars are you running? And do you have to do a lot to them to make them fine in whatever it is? Well, what I should be what I what I should be saying is that they're incredibly specialist. There's no one else in the world can build them like that, so don't even try. What I'm actually <laughs> going to tell you is, yes, there are there are rally cars. We use proper rally cars. That's a, that's one of our USPs. We use proper studded tires, another of our USPs. But actually, what happens to an ice driving car, apart from doing staggering number of of hours uh, per season, plus the odd misshift, plus the odd roll, all of that stuff. The, the the surface is very kind to them. So they they clog up with ice uh, and they get a bit heavier during the day. Overnight, they sit in a, in a uh, under uh, underfloor heated garage. They clean themselves. They <laughs> they melt. <laughs> and then in the morning, we go again. So, um, of course, we do have uh, the, some some mechanical issues with the cars uh, that we that we things like the cold that the, the humid cold is different to, to cold cold so we we have to make sure they work in those situations and ultimately we we chuck anyone in them so um i did i did have a terrible experience with a lovely lady from america who'd never driven a manual car and her boyfriend was teaching wow. her and yeah we pretty quickly we had to change a clutch so that was <laughs> awful i had no idea but we always have a spare car, so she didn't lose any driving time. And by the end of it, she could drive a stick shift. So wasn't that a good thing? Yeah, that's an interesting place to learn, but, you know. Why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? I wish they'd told us. And um, so I've done, so when we've done it, I've done it on, in a selection of different cars. Um, what did we do it in? Which is, uh, my 911, which I would say was the best. That was the most fun. Um, but we were on uh, winter tyres. Just like normal, mm-hmm. and I fa- since found out that bottom stops, yeah. Like we were on normal sort of continental winter tires. I've since found out that you get like Swedish winter tires oh. that have got a different compound that are stickier, um, but no did, studs. Did you have a button stud? No, 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 no. Okay, um, which that was fun. It was the most fun. Was back back roads with snow yes. and trees. Like that was the most fun. You felt like well, I mean, you basically were on a rally stage, but you had grip. On the ice track, you were fine for like a couple of laps in the morning, and then it just got to the point where I'm sure you would be completely fine cruising around, but you just didn't have the grip at the back at all in the slightest. Well, so firstly, to pick up your point, we uh, yeah, every road in Sweden, as far as you and I are concerned. Is a rally stage, right? So, but, but the Swedes don't think that. Okay, so just be no, very, just very careful. We're there thinking we're, I mean, Hanno Mikler or Stig Blomkis, whoever we <laughs> want to be. They're just going to work. So, uh, but, yeah, they're not best pleased with with some of our driving at times, no doubt. Plus, they obey, obey the law quite rightly, I might add. But, but um, their speed limit is the same in the winter as the summer, and they have glorious yeah. roads. I've never understood it. Never get stopped for speeding in Scandinavia. It's hugely no. costly. Um, Just go in the winter. It's yeah. unlikely to happen. <laughs> so, but, but the thing with, here's the thing. So yes, there's lots of different compounds um, of, of snow tyres. So what we call a sort of all year round, what we call a winter tyre here is, is much harder than, because if you use a proper winter tyre here, then the, the rubber um, uh, warms up much quicker and of course it becomes yeah. very, very rolly. Um, here's the thing. Do you know how a, a, a winter tyre works? 
why it works. Isn't it trap snow? Yeah, snow on snow. And then snow on snow. So, I mean, uh, it's bonkers. I don't really know whether I believe this, but someone's talking. It's mad. So the sipes grip the snow. So you've got some snow here, and then and they all stick to each other, and it's like this. I mean, okay, whatever. But the fun, the fun thing is um, working on the grip levels, and one of your problems that you've just explained is what almost certainly happened is you were going round and round in the morning like legends. You were polishing the ice. Yeah. So next thing, you've actually got no snow. You're just on ice, so your tyre doesn't work as well. So then what you have to do is you have to look, and this is where rally drivers and, and actually motorbike riders come into their own. You have to look at the surface, and you have to know, okay, so I've got no grip here, which is fine, but I know I'm going to get grip when I get to that point. Okay, and yeah, yeah. talking to my days, hours, months with Martin on, on, on the ice, and subsequently with Ryan and anyone else who wants to be on the ice with me, um, we used to use just button studs. So the, the, big, the big stud gives you loads of grip, but actually what we use yeah. is a button stud because that's the big thing. Because if you can double guess a car, if you can really, if it, it, it won't do what you want. So when it doesn't do yeah. what you want, you then make it do what it wants, then you really know what you're doing. And, and that's why we start our days off on a button stud because we want to give you um, this experience with sort of millimeters of throttle travel as to how much difference it makes. We then go on to full studs and of course then, mm. yeah, then, then the crashes just get faster. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah i found what we, we had a variety of cars so we did it in a in my sc one year we had an r8 that someone already let us great four-wheel drive which actually i quite liked the four-wheel drive that was on the same just on winters um and that seemed to work you could get out of a lot more stuff that. than than that um and then uh, we had all sorts of friends and different cars but lots of them had small studs um and then i drove like a rage buggy that was on like full massive 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 lots of studs and that driving around the ice just felt kind of like tarmac and it was four-wheel drive and you could just keep your foot in it and just (laughs) go into a snowbank come back out again well there's obviously there's a whole thing about snowbanks whole thing about driving on snow, which is a very specialist thing, but I th- someone will pick me up on this, but I think certain stages in the Swedish rally are the fastest stages in the World Rally Championship. So partic- partly due to the nature of the roads, I mean, Finland, dangerously fast um, in, in the summer uh, with all the jumps and everything, but, but at Sweden, the roads are wonderful and you have so much traction with a brand new latest WRC stud. In fact, the studs they used in the let's say nineties, they've now they've now given the cars less grip. The the, the, the tires are wider and the studs are shorter, and they've got less studs. Yeah. But yeah, staggering staggering levels of grip. And then I watching um, we had oh, I can't remember his name, but we had a WRC driver as a as a coach for the day, and it was exactly the same thing as you were talking about, where everyone's just hooning around all day, and occasion, and he's like, you know, do you want some help? Do you want some help? Anyone want some help? (laughs) And then I went out a little bit with him. And the thing that amazed at the time we were in a, not the car to take to Sweden, but it was, it was great. Uh, Bentley Continental V8 convertible. Perfect. Why not? Perfect. Um, And uh, and (laughs) I went out with him. And the thing that amazed me was basically the lack of inputs. He's just literally just like, a tiny in which if you just filmed the steering wheel and the pedals you would assume 
we're like doing some slight slalom down a straight road. But then you watch the video and he's like fully lit, fully yeah. sideways the entire time. No, well, it's, um, I think ultimately uh, when you see a good driver, when you see a good tennis player, whatever it is, um, that, that, that for everything is it's so well in balance that the movements are, uh, are small. And, you know, if, if I was to take you, take you day one around the lake, get you driving, I promise you, first thing you do is want to take your coat off. Then you'd be taking your hat off. Then you'd be taking your gloves off. You'd be out of breath yeah. and you'd be mentally exhausted because you're just working so, so hard. Give yourself a couple of days. Then everything starts to become natural. Everything becomes in balance. So, so if you imagine a car, we've got um, accelerator, brake. So if you're left at braking, that's another input. You've got gears, you've got steering wheel. But it, once you get all of that in tune, actually the steering wheel is not steering the car. It's... I consider it like a, a, a damper for your um, for the inaccuracy of your throttle pedal. So if you've got you okay. too much throttle, you have to use too much steering. If you have too much steering, then you've got to start. So it becomes very, very frantic very, very quickly. But if you go in in a car like anything with, with, a, with a good guy, be around Silverstone or, or a rally stage, you can drive at well over 100 miles an hour through trees and, and, and have a perfectly normal conversation with them because it just happens. No great shape. And the, the person next to you is going absolutely beside themselves because they can't imagine how they're going to get around the next corner. It's great. It's really good. <laughs> and and how much progress do you see in in people over? I, I think I don't know how many how long do people normally come for a day, but two, we, we, in two, two days is two days perfect. But the the improvement is staggering. So two days on the ice track is worth. 10 or 20 days on a, on a, on a racetrack because you have the freedom to make mistakes and you have an environment which amplifies, as I was saying, all the, all the good things and all the bad things. So you learn so quickly. It's, mm. I mean, this isn't a sales pitch. It's game changing. Um, yeah. And we have race drivers. We have young, young race drivers, young rally drivers. And then, and then lovely ladies from America who've never driven a stick shift. We have everyone. Yeah, yeah, and I guess because if you go to, let's say, a track day, test day, any of that stuff, you're not allowed to slide the car. It can be, you know, on the edge, but you're not allowed to be just like hucking it in. So, and how often do people make a mistake on a on a circuit? Not that often, like a, a big one where you're going to require a massive correction. So to build up time in the over the limit category just yeah. it just just doesn't happen no there's no greater place um mind you the track day boys fantastic they are they are getting used to us turning up in two liter nine elevens that <clears throat> sit at extraordinary angles and you you overtake a gt3 somewhere probably you shouldn't sideways and the gt3 owner is looking at you going what what's that all about <laughs> and then he obviously comes straight past you on the straight yeah. um but uh, but actually you know the other thing is if you if you take a GT3 to Silverstone, uh, you've got to be a brave guy to unstick that car because to mm. unstick a GT3 or, or anything of that magnitude is, is a, it's a big moment in your life. And, and if it goes wrong, uh, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a huge problem. So I don't blame them, but I do like going past them sideways in a two-litre car from 1965. 
<laughs> I mean, that is, that's the, the age old thing of like the funnest car to be in on a track day is, well, one, if you're going sideways, but also something that looks slow and is, you know, on paper is slow going past other cars that are on paper fast. That There's no greater thing on a track day to be in something that's slow no, going past it, faster cars. It's great. And, and, and as I say, I'm not, I don't blame these guys in these quick cars. They're terrifying. Oh, no. So I, I get it. And then and if I could just touch briefly on the, this thing about a 911, and I'm, I'm going to include the current ones, um, not, not that I've driven many lately, but they are mentally more stimulating than any other car. So if we had a BMW on an ice track or a circuit, you and I would both think we're legends within, within 10 minutes. Yeah. Front engine, loads of turning, rear that'll do whatever you want it to do and, and get you out of jail a million times. A 911 asks you a question. It asks you a different question every corner you go into it. And once you, once you can answer that question, uh, it's just such a challenge. And it remains a challenge every time you drive them. And at the end of the day, that's what keeps you engaged. And I don't know of another car that does that. So, and it's nothing to do with our cars, nothing to do with anything we've done or anyone's done. It's just 911. I mean, it's the best thing that ever happened to, to road cars, clearly. Yeah, a fun, fundamentally flawed formula. But because of that, the driving characteristics are really interesting. Like it, I was amazed at how quickly I could go in, in my SC in the snow relative to modern stuff on studs. Like when you've got the grip, you've got grip and you are going. When you're in that middle phase, you have to make the right decision. A little bit of, a bit of patience. And I, I haven't driven one of these latest... Um, GT3s with the um, double wishbone front suspension. I've, I've driven mm. the Singer DLS, which got the same system. Um, the, the, there's this moment in a 911. So I, if I if I can give one piece of advice to anyone driving a 911, uh, you need to be quite positive, aggressive in the first phase, which is the braking phase, to get this weight over the front. You always have to be patient in the middle. So the second third of the corner, you just have to wait, and that's a waiting phase whilst everything sorts itself out in the world and then as soon as you've got the feeling back again it's it's aggression so it's it's always or positivity aggression i must be very careful because um, <laughs> my driving is a bit aggressive but it it's positive passive positive every corner once you've unlocked that um you're, you're all over it but it's very very special and, and it's ironic yes in theory it's a flawed design but don't forget you've got traction you've got independent suspension you've got big engines and how on earth they have continued keep the 911 where it is. Um, I mean, I, I can't imagine what they've got up their sleeve that they just are not releasing because if they release it all on day one, then they have to work bloody hard to make it better next time. But they're a clever bunch. <laughs> yeah. They're a clever bunch. Yeah, it's pretty mad. Although we're starting to see um, Porsche with the Caymans just do the, you know what, they're going to go electric. Let's just go for it. Let's just put the GT3 engine in. Let's I make know. it mad. Um, I was speaking to someone about it yesterday. I mean, I think it's, we, we must always have discussed, for example, why the first Cayman GT4 didn't have a, it had a really long ratio gearbox, all of these little things. It must have been, I can only assume to, to keep, well, probably emissions and also keep it, keep it underperforming versus the 911. Yeah. Um, but it's a fascinating thing. And um, yeah, this, I, I, I'm sure 
I'm sure they'll um, they'll protect their their halo car, and, and so they should. It's amazing. Yeah, that 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 one thing, the gearbox, in all definitely Porsches at the moment, pretty much, uh, whether it's a GT3 or a Cayman, if you put a shorter gearbox in it, those cars would become significantly more interesting and frantic than, especially the Caymans. The Caymans you get in and you're like, okay, come on. The engine just feels slow. Well, there's a reason, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, but then people are doing it. There's, um, uh, who is it? I saw, I saw this morning, Chris has just driven some electric four-wheel drive Cayman. Yes. Um, e. So there was a concept car, which yeah, that, was the Mission R. Awesome. Yeah. And then there's now the GT4E Performance or something, I think, that Chris drove. It's basically a, it's kind of like a cup car, but with... 600 horsepower or a thousand horsepower no for the drive. Staggering. And then, and then okay, now we're now digressing, but why not? Um, do you see the thing that Ken Block released this morning, the, the four wheel drive Pike's Peak car? I didn't know, I don't know anything about it. I just saw George's picture of it. Pink, and it's what, like, pink thing. It looks like some sort of 964 GT2 or something. Nice. I'm, on a, I'm on a group with, with Chris and a few other boys. So I've, I pinged it to them, and they would all have been asleep. I'm, a, I'm an early riser. Um, <laughs> and, of course, everyone's got a view. My view is unbelievable. It's just cool. And um, having worked with Ken, I text him straight away. Uh, I yeah. said, come on. Um, I, I want to I know all about this. How can I can... I actually said to him, can I make, it, can I make an off-road version, <laughs> obviously. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, So that's going to be... That's mid-engine by the look of it. 1,000 or 1,400 horsepower. Um, I mean, I've... I, I I was lucky enough. I went in his Hoonigan in. Um, he drove me round a demo lap in Saudi in November, and I nice. that just I never can't even imagine what that thing could do. And sat next to him, staggering. And um, so, so this car he's doing for Pike Speed looks like a tubular thing. So it's got some poor shapes, but I'm sure that's about it. Um, yeah, probably just his probably just his Mustang turned round underneath. But see, that, his projects. If if you'd asked. When he sort of when I first came across Ken Block, I was like, "Hmm, seems like a pretty cool dude doing some skids and stuff." And then over the last, I don't know, six seven years, he's just done cooler and cooler things. That you're um, and yeah, like, tapped Long. into a lot of history as well. He's a he's a he's look, he's clearly a car guy. Firstly, so he get he doesn't just sort of invented all of this. Um, he's he's clearly incredibly clever really switched on knows knows what's what's cool and what's not um he's got a great team around him and and having you know spent three weeks with him in africa he's an absolute gentleman he's a bloody good driver and and he now has a a a fan base of following an ability to do cool stuff but Yeah. yeah i was pretty Pretty. Sh- I knew about this project. I didn't know any detail. I hadn't seen a picture. I didn't know, it, but I knew it was underway before we'd met. I knew it's been a, yeah. it's been something that they've been working on for a long time. Um, but yeah, so pleased, so pleased for 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 him to be doing something like this. And I think um, it's just good for us all. It's a, it's a good looking thing. Yeah. How did his um, sort of collaboration? It's probably the right word. Ish with you guys come about. 
how did he find you guys? Oh, genius. Years of years of strategy and marketing and planning and <laughs> uh, at the very highest level of the company. Um, but was it that just his co-driver rang Andy Brown, who, who now heads up our motorsport and said, hey, Andy, Ken, Ken would like to do Safari. I see you're working with Richard. Um, is it possible? So I was asked the question. Of course, I just said yes. Um, and then uh, I, got a, I got an email from a guy called Travis Clark, um, who I hadn't heard from since 2008 when I did Baja with Travis. And he, then he mm. was managing Travis Pastrana. He now manages Ken Block. Um, we didn't sign a contract. Uh, I spoke to Travis th- three times and I said, yeah, we're doing it. And they said, great. Uh, and that was it. It's hugely uncommercial, um, super relaxed, all on trust. Seems like a good idea. Let's do it. Um, and we did it. And, um, and uh, the guys at Monster came to the workshop, launched the car, which sort of never got launched because of COVID and all that good stuff. But just one of those things, again, don't think too hard about life. Just get on and do it. It was bound to be cool. And I just had yeah. to find a way to do it. And I'm, I'm pleased we did because it was, it was, again, one of life's great experiences with a, with a cool guy. It was cool. I, I didn't, I didn't even I know it was happening at all. And then I came to the only time I've come to visit you guys. His car was in the entrance hall, and I was like, "Hang on a minute," says Ken Block. It's like an old nine eleven. What's going on here? Well, um, we're not brilliant at telling people about everything. And, and Laura, Laura, <laughs> the reason we're chatting is because of Laura's um, keen to introduce us to a few more people and, and just generally share what we get up to a bit more. But so that is a thing. But yeah, in in the in the past and really still we're semi well kept secret. Hmm. So doing fun stuff in in old cars, building a safari car. What do you have to do? And then also, I, I want to take this into like projects because you do so many projects that are interesting. Um, a safari car. You take a. Do you, what car can you take on us on the safari in that sort of category? Typically governed by a, the date, the cutoff date, and I, of course, I ought to know. But they don't allow four wheel drive. They don't allow turbocharged. So. 911 wise, actually from, from 73 on, there's not a great deal you can or can't do to 911. So, um, so the body shape changes and there's a few things, but within the Safari regs, none of it really matters because it's sort of lumped in as one. But ironically, they're not that specialist. We went through a phase where they were quite specialist in terms of the body shell. We learned mm. all about body shells looking after pro drive cars in sort of 86, 87 in the Middle East. Um, the, the advent of a four-way adjustable damper with a hydraulic bump stop means that the car's very well protected. So the cars aren't heavy. They're not overly heavy. They could be lighter, actually. We, we build a car that is going to survive. Um, and actually, the specialist parts, dampers, brakes, bit of rhubar action, some roof vents. Other than that, take all that off. Um, or not even take it off. Go to Silverstone the day after it comes back from Kenya. Put a high-ratio gearbox and... Have a go. In fact, we have we have done have done a few days a few days in safari cars at Silverstone, but they're, they're, it's a very very our cars in general, be it a, a, a road car, a sixty five two liter cup car, or a safari car. There's a there's a DNA that runs through them. It's all the same, same looms, same fuel system, same mm. throttle system, same everything because it works. Um, and uh, it, it you know it's it's taken us a very very long time to get to this position. Um, so you just it's either on display or it's not on display it's covered in leather it's not covered in leather all sorts of stuff but the stuff underneath yeah is, is all 
very similar. Because you build quite a lot of cars for customers as a road car or as a race car or, or as a rally car, um, etc. And G, what's your favourite? If, if you were to build a road car that... I'm going to go two ways. One, let's start with something that's quasi-production-esque, not just mad, because I know there's some mad I'm stuff going on. Yeah. Um, okay, so firstly, there's not one... Obviously, one car does not want to do it, because you you um, <laughs> need lots. Um, weird... I, I, this is going to be a bit frustrating, but um, come up this afternoon... And I'll show you the latest bit of madness that's going on, which is, which is, is a gold car. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's um, that's cool. It, it's it, it could be pretty extreme. I mean, how how usable in terms of let's go on a road trip to the south of France? Is it? Not sure. Don't care. It's not the point. So, <laughs> um, through to another new project, which um, which is that car, which I want to jump in and go to the south of France in. But I want an, an element of um, an element of just the, stu- the other stuff that we like in cars. So I'm being very vague here, but look, we, we've I think you, you've got to have a car that you can jump in and just absolutely blow your mind, um, and then you've got to you've got to have a car that you can do some distance in. I think that where yeah. we all struggle, and by we I mean everyone who builds, uh, rebuilds uh, uh, an old car, is that that balance between usability, um, comfort, excitement, all of that stuff, and it's quite difficult to find. Um, and you know, my my association with with Singer and, and being amazed at the cars they build and produce, um, even even for them, it's a challenge to get that balance absolutely where we want it. But it depends. That yeah. the, the the point the point is the discussion we have with the client because we build cars for clients, bespoke cars. Is what's the use? And let's try and try and nail that use because I've, I've sort of given up trying to make a 1973 car faster than the GT3 because it's a ridiculous concept yeah. anyway. And if you've got a GT3, well, let's not make it. You need, need a different car. If I come back to a pure form of driving, I always end up at a two-liter short wheelbase car. The driving we can do on the roads these days is is we have to respect everything. Uh, so I want to feel like I'm doing 140 miles an hour at 40 miles an hour. Um, I want to work for that enjoyment. I don't want too much power because then I'm just in, I'm in, I'm in trouble before I've left the village. Um, the, the point is we're having a lot of fun doing some really cool cars. And um, thankfully, there's, there's great people out there who inspire us and ask us to do some stuff. But the, the next couple of projects, Gold One being, being one of them, um, I think that will move us into a slightly different position in terms of what potentially what people think of us. Because um, we we are still yeah. at heart known for safari and and adventure stuff, yeah, and sort of sixties esque nine elevens. Yeah, so that that if I from the outside in, and then we've had things like the um, the singer projects yeah. or project. That was um, cool. Yeah, I mean like that that was that's pretty mad. Yeah, it'll it'll pretty sure it'll get madder. So. <laughs> um, no, I, again, that was a that from my perspective. Uh, if you asked me to do the ultimate car that I could ever be asked to do, that was it. Um, mm. And uh, we, we, yeah, we, th- there's some sort of complications that are fairly well known. 
um, I, I know it's got another life, and it will it will be it will it will return in some form. Um, but if I never built another one, I just was so privileged to be asked um, the 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 collaboration with with Rob and, and his team was brilliant. I mean, really brilliant, maybe unlikely actually from the outside. Um, and it led to other things. And uh, they're a great bunch of guys, good friends. And we produced a car that um, I, there, there won't be many cars like that in the world ever, ever built again. And I'm really proud that we were involved. And what was the, what's the story? What's the, the use case of the, the customer that goes, I want you to build a car. What, what, how did that one sort of come about? And then how did you approach it? And with, the, with reference to the, to the, the singer rally the car, singer. yeah. Well, funny enough, yeah. Uh, the, the client who's clearly ahead of the curve a bit, he dropped some cars off in Singer's yard, literally. I think they rang him out and said, "What are these?" Oh, I would like, I'd like a rally car. Oh, okay. We don't do that, oh. <laughs> but we know someone who did. Oh, do we know someone who can? And 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 um, yeah, we had a chat, got on the phone, and I went over and, and saw them and. It started off as often things in life do really, okay, well, tuck some suspension on it, a couple of wheels, you know, raise the ride height. And what we ended up with four years later was just, just beyond what we ever imagined. It, yeah. So most bizarre, an amazing guy behind it who just said, yeah, go on, crack on, fill your boots, do what you can. A brilliant creative team, uh, um, in LA and, and our mechanical, um, knowledge updated and with no regulations which is the great thing they wouldn't and if you want to go to yeah. baja you just look at the regulations i mean you might as well look at a blank page it's literally build yourself a car and let's go 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 nice. to baja so that was the brief um and uh ironically because of covid um no one from singer saw the car from the minute we started it to the minute we finished it and the first time rob <laughs> saw it was was when it was covered in um covered in mud in the middle of a welsh forest and um, Rob's bloody marvellous, but one thing he loves more than anything else is door gaps and, and trim and that's like, there you go, Rob. See how you get with that one. It's covered in mud, but it was wonderful. <laughs> really, really special. An amazing thing to have done. Really amazing. It was a really cool... Uh, it was there when I when I came in. And it to imagine something like that coming out of what I'd known about you guys beforehand... I mean, it's such a sort of modern-looking, serious. I know a lot of it are very serious, but it just looks so different to things I've seen before come out of Tuthill. You think what that tells you is, um, and we've learned in you know, no um, no shame in admitting that my my um, learning whilst working with with them has has been massive, and we've always been known for producing brilliant mechanical cars. And mm. I can understand the the, the criticism about the, sometimes the way the cars have been presented. And I'm talking a long time ago now. You know, when we did, when we did, Chris, Chris and I did that ST, yeah, I don't know how many years ago. But if, I, if that's wheeled into the building now, it's still owned by a good client. Um, it's just nowhere near what we build today. It's just not acceptable. And yeah. The, the world has moved on. And I'd actually say we've got to be very careful here. The world's moved on a little bit too far where we are so critical about everything 
that I think at a certain point, yeah. you, you, these cars are, and I think this is our, really one of our USBs, we use our cars. So mm. we, let's, let's not go too far where we just, a car is never good enough. So um, get out, enjoy them. You can repair them. Let's not overthink it too much. Build something that you want and go and bloody use it. Because otherwise, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just another thing to put in your garage. And um, my, if my garage is anything to go by, which by the way has got no, no cars in it, everyone's got plenty of stuff to put in the garages and most of it shouldn't be in there. And nor should your car. It should be on the road and you should be driving it. That's it's, that's an interesting sort of point because I, I, with all these sort of the various resto mods and sort of high-end builds, um, the first thing i now i've definitely got to the point where i critique them on stuff that like it's kind of pointless like it doesn't matter the things that i'm like oh but that little blah 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 blah, blah. like yeah, but, yeah. Oh, yeah certain things yeah to fix or to do right and we see these i mean some of these builds are so expensive and so much money goes into making small details really nice and and you know creating something to then go in an old car that none of them are the same nothing's ever going to fit right to make it all look really good costs so much money and we see the builds you could get a, a build that's let's say a hundred grand bill build a 200 grand build and then like an 800 grand build and to go from the 200 to like the next level you just it just just the money just goes like <laughs> So on the basis of your maths, to go from two to eight should cost six. It costs about a million. So <laughs> it, that's the thing. Um, these cars are, are so lovely. Uh, they're becoming a bit more like art than a car. And um, and I I love them. Uh, and, and we aspire and are producing now. The next couple of projects we're doing will be another level. But I still want to come back to the fact that we we must enjoy driving them, and and our target client is that guy or or, or yeah. girl. It's uh, and that that's something that again with my new sort of concept going forward is sticking to what we've always done: build cars, but then we're going to give you lots of excuses to use them. Because actually what we all like doing, just like you you mentioned earlier with your, your trips to Scandinavia and your road trips, uh, you've got a lovely car, now you need some mates, and now you need to go somewhere. Because there's only so many times you can go to the pub and back in it. So if we can generate reasons to use cars, then we'll, we'll all be better off for it. And, and it's a crazy thing if you look at safari cars. They are now way, way more beautiful than they ever were. They're still the same speed, they do everything. We then go to Kenya, we smash them up a bit, and then we rebuild them, and then we do it all over again. I mean, genius business model, granted. Um, <laughs> so someone, someone a long time ago really worked that out. But, but the point is we're, we're producing um, sh- showroom standard cars to put in a container and then go and drive 5,000 kilometers around Africa. Yeah. Um, and we need to continue to do that because it's about experiences and it's about doing things with great people with great cars. That's the plan. Yeah, and your your point about, and I, I think your, the customers find you because that is sort of generally the situation with a lot of your cars. I'm sure you've got customers that do all sorts, some that do absolutely none with their cars, but the ones I've met 
are all about driving and using their cars. And I think each person, something I've, I've talked about before, but each person has their level of car or cars that they can afford. And you might go, I could really stretch myself and get this car up here. But in reality, if I do that, I can't afford, like I can't really afford to use it. And I've done that. Um, and then a bit precious. I've now realized the, the car sorry. becomes a bit precious at that point. It does. It becomes precious. Um, I had an F40 for a bit. Yeah, no, for that's, five years. That's the thing. Um, and it was great. It was awesome. But the reality was I didn't drive it that much. Mileage is like a killer in those mm. cars. You could go, yeah, you could drive it forever and it's not going to depreciate. Okay, yeah, fine. But still, if the paint's in great condition, and mine was a stupid colour, um, then you don't want to get it resprayed and all that sort of blah, 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 blah. It just got to the point where I, it just, I didn't use it. Yeah. So I realised I would way rather have either a couple or one car that is a bit like the sort of value of my SC or something like that, where I'm happy to take it to Sweden and wang it around. And if something gets damaged, it's not actually that expensive to repair it unless you fully, you know, go big style into something. Um, and I, I get so much more enjoyment out of the using. And I need to remember that and do more using. Just do more things, yeah. not just put it around. And, and I think we, one of the things I caught on to pretty early on and again, I can reference Safari again, was we've been very successful with Safari, both in the terms of we've won it more than anyone else, but but actually what's more important to me is we've taken more people to Africa. We've, 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 we've had more clients than anyone else, which means we've been, able to, we've been able to have more fun. And I very early on worked out that uh, we could be in Africa, hot air ballooning, mountain biking, doing whatever, um, but what the car allows us to do is go somewhere with great people and see great things. And it's, so it, it just gives you sort of entry into something. And I think um, ownership of things in life is great, but actually what is, what is way greater is having had experiences that we can all look back on because at the end of the day, they're the things we'll, we'll really remember. So the ice driving has highlighted that. And it's something that I believe where we're heading with with all things automotive is that we've got to be looking at special occasions with special cars doing doing special things, and I and I think that's where that's certainly where we're we're on the way to, and making it yeah, making yeah, it more yeah. available. Mm. Mm. And and that because if you said to me, you know, you can only do, and I think a lot of people end up in this situation time wise or whatever. They're like, you've got five weekends or two weekends to do like whatever you like the other ones you've got either you've got no time or you've, you're going on holiday or you're doing other stuff got to go to a christening Something you've like that. got to go to a christening whoopity do um <laughs> so you know what are you going to do in those two weekends and you're like well i want to do something memorable and have a lot of fun what is that and you know what does that look like yeah with um with the the Africa stuff, I feel like, what do the logistics look like of putting on and supporting cars ragging across Africa? It looks like the biggest Excel like spreadsheet you've ever seen. That's what it looks like. 
And actually, okay, you've got to come up this afternoon and have a look at that golf thing. Then come up on Friday uh, and see 13 safari cars come back from Africa. That's, that's what logistics looks like. Just a world of, oh my God, really? Um, <laughs> no, listen, it's um, like everything. Uh, the first time you do it, it's, it's a thing. And then over the time you evolve it to become less of a thing, then it volumes mm. up and you find different problems. Now, the, the challenge we always face is we don't know the route, um, can't predict the weather. And, and every day in Africa is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an opportunity for chaos. Uh, in a, <laughs> every day of my life is an opportunity for chaos, but that's my problem. <laughs> um, uh, so you, you, you're dealing with a whole lot of things that you can't control. So you have to be incredibly light-footed. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm, I'm right up there in terms of the best people to be, to be agile. Because what I love more than anything else is we're driving along in our, in our management truck, in our own event, which, by the way, is way more competitive than the rally. That's properly competitive. <laughs> um, and, and something happens. And then there's, there's me... Uh, Andrew, who's who's my ops guy next to me, um, Graham, the engineer in the back, and then some, usually some other poor person who's just been chucked in the back of our truck. But then you've got to go, okay, what's happening? We've got X number of cars. We're 200 Ks away, 50 Ks away. What's happening that night? Where are the vans? All of this stuff. And you've got to, you've got to make a decision extremely quickly and you've got to make the right decision. And that's really, really good fun. We, we help ourselves because all the cars are the same. So whatever truck I send, okay, we know yeah. it'll have the right bits, and that's critical. Um, but it's it's that it's that moment where you go, okay, come on, we are in the we're in the shit here. How are we going to fix it? And that, and that, it's it, it's um it's addictive. Um, so the logistics of how to make that happen, the the the, the starting point for all of this is brilliant people absolutely brilliant people who will do whatever it takes to get stuff done. And, and thankfully we're surrounded by loads of them. And one of mm. them, the nicest thing is that every morning I walk into a workshop with brilliant people who work incredibly hard, love what they do um, and get stuck in. And, and honestly, I've just we've just done a, a, a documentary on our last safari rally, which will be released shortly. And um, I say it over and over again in the in the in the film, people are just doing amazing things, and it's just it's awe inspiring. So once you've got good people, and then you've got some really clever people who can think extremely clearly and and coordinate, then you're halfway there. But it's it's not it's for now. It's it, we we streamlined it a long time ago, and it's not as daunting as it once was. Mm. big job though and i guess each time you do it and stuff goes right stuff goes wrong you're like well we've learned all that next time around we take it up another another notch yeah. another notch another notch another notch absolutely that's the are you one of the biggest groups out there in the, in the rally mm. oh uh, yeah i mean no one's ever run more than four cars i think apart from us um but we we get actually it's lovely going and chasing Kenyans around Africa because it's a sort of love-hate, love-love relationship. I don't know. I'm not sure all the time. And, and a lot of people say, you know, you're this massive team. This is ridiculous. 
Um, firstly, we're just on a whole bunch of guys working in Wardington. Point one. Um, point two, per car, we have less people on the event than anyone else. We have a lot of cars. There's a lot of people. But the, the regulations state how many people you can have and how many vehicles you can have. And it's got out of shape. Last year, it was crazy. You allowed three service vehicles. And you were, so every service vehicle, you can't send a dude across Africa on his own. So that's two people. Yeah. And then you can have management cars and all sorts of nonsense. We don't do any of that. We have less cars and less people per car than any other team in, in there. But, but okay, we, because of the way we run it, we, we do have an opportunity to do that. But um, yeah, there's a big crowd of us and it's living with people you work with for a month in Africa is, 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 uh, is wonderful. It's a wonderful experience. Oh, no, it's genuinely wonderful. I mean, you have your moments, um, but it's, yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you know, you come back to, nine to five if that's what we can call it um but you've been through really good stuff together and it helps it's great do you get does a large chunk of the team from base get involved and do you sort of try and like swap people out so everyone gets a chance to go at some point or is it the same people hardcore they know their stuff no no i'm really aware that essentially if someone in the building wants to go to africa it's my job to facilitate that um uh, even even john the body um, he's, he runs our body shop. He's worked, worked for, for us for, I don't know, 25 years or something. Even he said he wants to come. Now, we don't <laughs> do a lot of spraying out in Africa. But, um, if he's still fit next year, I've got to take him. He, he, he I owe it to him. But no, the, so literally the, the building sort of empties. There's some admin guys who come and don't come. Um, of course we leave a core staff behind, but it's, it's, I don't know what they do. I'm, I'm sure they don't really work when we're not there. Can't do. <laughs> but no, we try and get try and anyone who wants to come, I got to make it make it happen because it's important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then presume, presumably, okay, there's a lot of logistics of taking more cars, more stuff. But if you've got, let's say, you've taken whatever it is, ten, fourteen cars or something, um, you've got spares for all of them and people that can work on all of them, but hopefully not all of them break down at once so actually you've got a is there a limit to number of people that can work on a car at once there's a there's a regulation that stipulates um you can only have three people at any one time on any on any car so what we do our limiting factor is people because not everyone can survive africa not everyone oh, yeah. can, not everyone can cope with it it's bloody hard work plus not everyone can actually change your rear arm on the side of a road um, even I had to I had to change a front right strut on the side of the road and actually honestly one of the highlights of the whole event I was absolutely up to my <laughs> neck in it and I just happened to be the first guy on the scene so I dived in because it's been a while but I really enjoyed it but uh, people is our limiting factor so actually what I'm trying to work out for the next rally which is only 18 months away um, I'm going to mix it up again and I'm going to look at how we service because I'll, as I say the limit is having that knowledge because you have to have enormous amount of knowledge. And when you're spreading yourself across cars, which you're, which you're running, let's say, two and a half hours apart, um, unless I can convince them that I have to have a helicopter to travel in, I can't be everywhere. And, and of course, it's not all about me, so I've got some great guys, but we split ourselves up across the 13 cars. But yeah, people are, people's limiting factor in, in, in uh, how, many, how many cars we can run. Something, you know, cause as I've done some racing and various stuff, and a lot of the other drivers that I know well, um, a lot of them haven't got a clue about mechanical stuff. Like, I, I would say a, a 
decent yeah, percentage yeah. of racing drivers I know couldn't work on the cars. Um, but a lot of them are interested in doing it. But then it's a case of like, it's almost the gateway is too high at that point. You you need to, everyone has to regress so much to just like start on it. Do you do any, do the drivers and stuff, any of them just get say, can I come and work on a car for, for a couple of days or something? Well, they do actually. And yesterday, a really nice German guy called Tobias Koenig, he, he turned up and I, I'll be honest, I didn't know he was coming. I, I didn't have to know he was coming. But he spent he spent eight hours in the workshop yesterday. And because he's doing a long rally, uh, which we don't support, we're not allowed to support, and we're on the end of the phone, and everyone's got a visa so we can charge out mm. to wherever he is in the world. He spent eight hours going through his car, and it's not uncommon. Um, and look, we, we lost the Safari Rally this year. And I say lost, um, we weren't beaten. We lost the rally ourselves um, because we had a problem with the drive shaft. Um, and uh, Patrick Sandell was pretty much in control of everything. Uh, and, and they had a drive shaft problem. The drive shaft problem was, I'm very honest about this, was caused by a rebuild error in, uh, in, our, in our workshop. But his, um, his co-driver, who'd never done a rally, um, but is an engineer, um, Henrik, changed the drive shaft in 20 minutes on the during a competitive section. So the clock was ticking. And I promise you, it's hard to change your drive shaft in 20 minutes in a workshop. So, yes, it, it bloody helps if you spend a bit of time on the car. Um, so hats off to him. I, I, I'm pretty sure I can have done it any quicker. Yeah, fair play. Yeah. Fair play. So no, I'm not, I'm not about to launch a, 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 an intro to me- mechanicing course, but um, <laughs> buy a car and you can come and spend a day with us. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. And then with sort of, the future of the future of Tata, but it's sort of moving forward on the stuff you've done. And then you've got all these bills that you can't tell anyone about until they're done. No. So no one knows about them. Um, are there any plans to do a, like a, this is a Tuttle something. Yes. Oh, you, you, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, so the thing is, um, we've always grown organically. And the world slash Instagram is full of renders and it's full of yeah. the new greatest thing. And I, I don't, I watch from afar and I, you know, I, yeah, I've been following Ken because why not? Uh, you know, he's become someone I did something cool with. But uh, if I looked at Instagram for too long, I'd sort of work out that we're not good enough. So, so let's, you know, let's go and do something else. Someone needs to convince me, and I have got a, I have, I have got an absolute game changer of a plan. So I'm going to revolutionise what we all think is this market. So just stand by, but it's coming. We don't really shout too much about what we do, and I actually like to. So this gold car, how good is it going to be? Uh, amazing, I, I hope. I, <laughs> sounds good. But am I going to tell the world and produce a render? And go, this is going to be amazing. And the, the reality is what I want to do is feel it for myself and go, yeah, okay, really is amazing. And that, that's, mm. that has strengths and weaknesses, is pros and cons from a, from a business perspective. Uh, we've got a new shed that's nearly finished, same as, same as the current one. So the floor's going down in a couple of weeks. That, quite a big shed, though. That, we say? <laughs> it's quite a big shed. Another though. big shed. Love a shed. 
And that's going to give us an, an opportunity to, um, I dare I say it, give us a bit more room. I mean, when I, we only moved into that one three years ago. And I looked at it when I moved and I thought, well, this is way too big. So that gives us an opportunity and that opportunity, I'm working very, very hard to, to do something. And, and so that could then lead to us saying, actually, here's something. Um, but, I'm, but, but as I alluded to earlier, my, my, what I really want to continue to do, and in fact, do a lot more of is, so you might not want to do the safari rally. Oh, actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. You're bound to want to do the safari rally, but it might be for whatever reason, you don't want to compete. You, you haven't got the time. You, I don't know what the reason yeah. could be. There is no reason why you wouldn't want to do it. But actually, I'd love to take you to Africa in a different form to experience what we do, maybe not such a, um, intense level. I want to, I want to share some of the stuff we've done. And if that's through driving experiences, which are different. I mean, we, we launched our own rally a couple of years ago, which we didn't run because of COVID. Um, it was called rally with no name because I couldn't think of a name. Um, and no date, <laughs> but it had a date. It had a full entry list. It had an entry list of 20 cars, 20 of my cars, 20 of my favorite clients. And again, I want to, I want to look at rallying. Or, 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 or let's say events, they've always been done how they've always been done. Why? Mm. Why, why should we go rallying like we did in the 1970s? So I, I'm, I'm looking at all of this stuff and, and um, yeah, the next, um, next six months is, is probably quite an interesting time. And, and I just want to yeah, just want to have another go, roll the dice again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to as and when, whatever these finished stamped ready to go things just suddenly appear imagine the, yeah they'll be real though they won't they won't be a there won't be a render in sight they'll be real yeah oh that'll be cool that'll be very cool right well i normally wrap these up with five questions hmm. you ready do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey yeah uh i picked up a three five six roadster in Nice. I drove with my wife. I think she was my wife then. She, she is now. We drove from there um, to the north of Spain where I tested a safari car at Chateau de Store. Amazing test ground. And then we drove home. I fell in love with roadsters and, and I now own one. And it's probably the only car I really ever want to own. 356 Roadster. Nice. Nice. Easy answer. That is a, that is a great way of doing a trip because like there's a lot of you've got to like you were saying earlier you've got to pick your compromise in a car 55 miles an hour just 55 miles an hour roof down everything overtakes you i mean you can go 90 miles an hour but why would you everything can overtake you so there's no rush and then a rally stage with a rally car yeah yeah there was a rally (laughs) car in the middle of it obviously that in 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 a vineyard so you had you had wine during the lunch break Nice. <laughs> nice. Properly French. <laughs> that is that is that is strong. Uh, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, and you're allowed a five hundred pounds something else on the side, basically it allows you something slightly practical that's going to be crap on the side, and then you get one car. So the crap thing is probably the car I drive every day. My Golf GTD. So, we're, we're, so I've got that. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. Um, one car. 
It's definitely a Porsche. It's either a, it's either a two-lead car. It could even be a 912. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. I'd say 912. Okay. That's just, why, why 912? It's ruined my business model, hasn't it? <laughs> the four-cylinder engine's got a funny torque. And um, on the assumption that it's forever, and we're not going to be able to drive fast forever, um, I'll just tool around in that. And then when you're not looking, I'll chuck a six-cylinder engine in the back of it because you'll never know. <laughs> That'll do. Something like that. And then occasionally raise it up. <laughs> yeah, give it some height oh, so we can right. get over some bumps, yeah. What do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? What should be worth more? And and don't say 65 911s. No. <laughs> No, I wish I could because that would help. Um, but funny enough, I, I don't really follow. Um, I don't follow because we don't retail stuff. I don't follow pricing. Um, is anything undervalued now? Oh, I mean, right now, that is a real. I feel like that is a really difficult question because I think everything is. So the the only thing some stuff not the only thing I ought to say, and I've done it twice in the last year, is I've taken a picture of a sp- certain car that's in our workshop and I've. And I've I always send stuff to Chris because now I've got no one else to send anything to. Uh, 993 RS or RS Club Sport. Yeah. The best 911 they ever made. Is that interesting? Under, underpowered. <laughs> so always under, it's underpowered. There's a, there's a lightness to the gear change and the controls and, and the doors are light and, and it, it's underpowered. Great car. And I, I don't know where they're undervalued because they're expensive. Um, everything yeah. expensive. But yeah, really awesome car. So nine, 993s are an interesting one because I've, I've never driven a 993. But I now, I think partly because everyone, everyone, everyone has done a 964. Um, Apart from us. So. Him. <laughs> So 993 is like the next one over and it, and it's the last air cooled and all that sort of stuff. And they're starting to, I think they're starting to come into their looks a bit. Um, I think they're really cool now. Is that the sort of generation? But then you run into this thing that you've alluded to earlier. Of I've got the sort of bookends of 911, not quite. And I think I need to bookend it a bit more. I need to move one of them sideways. I've got a 997 GT3 RS yep. Gen 2, Good car. which on the road is too much but it is quite it's still fun and it's still engaging and it's got a manual i think once you go past that point and i do quite like i like the more modern stuff and i've driven the new gt3 um i feel like they're kind of you you really do need to take them on track they need to definitely spend some time on track to you know if you're going to start chucking them around a little bit because you've got to do that somewhere with some space Um, and then I'm like, well, I have, I have my SC, but I almost, I think I'm, it's that bit of, do I need to go older and less grippy and just be like, I've got something that's super old and drive it quite slowly or relatively slowly with not a lot of grip. And then I've got the two kind of mm. ends of the equation and then use that for tooling around and having fun in. Or where do you pick the point in the middle 
of of all of these things if you're only going to have one it's like yeah but it's a difficult it's a difficult equation that just one. bump straight back to the point. i mean you just need to buy more so you can yes you need an early car uh, that's it yes you need later. the 993 um yeah that's that's the thing what watch this space there's eight in the workshop at the moment they're no longer what they were which at times has felt <laughs> they're not having a service it's Times has felt a bit criminal, honestly. Um, so that's the thing. That's that's a live thing. And then, so I've owned two 993s. Um, one was that I bought from a mate from uni, uh, which I should never have sold because um, it was just an narrow body cool thing. And then a customer bought in. Actually, the same guy who owns a 993 RS. He bought in a C2S. Uh, and just on looks alone, I think that's a, that's a really good looking car. Mm. I couldn't find one, so I bought the C4S. Which ultimately a bit disappointing because it didn't handle the same. Um, but yeah, nine nine three's are great, really. And so I've always questioned why has everyone started with nine six fours? Well, yes. And then put everything and from the nine nine three on the nine six four. The nine six four, don't forget, was an intermediary car. So if you if you drive the latest, the, the last nine nine three, with I don't know how many years of evolution, eleven or something. I don't know. It was yeah. a pretty good car, an amazing car, really. Very practical, everything. I mean, maybe they're a bit dull, but um, nothing we can't fix. <laughs> you can always spice up. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing seeing some of these things yeah. appear. Under, undervalued, um, yeah, undervalued. Maybe nine nine three RS or Club Sport because I think it's an extraordinary car. Cool, cool. Most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you googling, looking up? Well, obviously, the, the that goal thing we talked about is is driving me crazy because I'm I'm enjoying being mm. in the middle of a, a mental project. Um, in terms of what's going on, what's going in, on in the world, I, mean, I sort of quite like this electric stuff in in a sense because I I like I like quiet stuff. I like don't, don't yeah. like noise, which is ironic given what I do. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I I don't know whether I can. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, this morning it was the Ken Block car. Well, let's say that then, because because tomorrow will be something else. So let's say that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But that, I, I, I don't, think, know, there's I don't think there's much portion. I don't think there's much portion it, which is a worry. I'll, I need to find out. But let's just say that because I saw it this morning and I've got the attention span of a newt. So by t- tomorrow it'll be different. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Right, five car garage, unlimited value. Okay. Um, so, Roadster 912, um, short, short, short Quattro. Drove, okay, yeah. drove one back from the pub when I was young. I, w- I was legal, but uh, to be driving a short Quattro was a stupid idea, but I'm sensible, so that was okay. So, short Quattro, that's, I've got two more. Uh, the, the Porsche... Uh, <laughs> RS2. No, no. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, okay, well, remember that line. No, the, the um, Taycan Cross Turismo thing that um, yeah. that they took to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Top Gear boys took it to um, Sweetland. That's a cool thing. So one of them, don't know whether it's electric yeah. or not, but something like that. And then, it's electric, yeah. And then, yes, the, the Porsche made those um, vans, square uh, type two van, which was done by Porsche with big brakes, sort of uh, uh, what's that? Do you know it? You're looking really blank. A van? Yes. They a van. they put a load of Porsche stuff. It was an official product into 
Can you Google? Um, I can't I'm that picking is. up Porsche fat. What on earth is this? Hang on a minute. It's a, it's a tight, you know, it's a bloody square van. Had a Porsche 32 in it. Late 70s, early 80s. One of them. <laughs> so I've got a van. So, that's, so we've got things. a van and a state car. Um, I didn't say 993 RS. And I've just said it's the best car in the world. Ah. You, you did. There we are. I'm done. I've, I've, oh, well. I've, I'm committed. You've got, to, you've got to draw the line, at least for this minute. Yes, okay. Um, and, then, and then onwards. Cool. Well, uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Sorry for the interruption. Ah, oh, that's all right. I think we got that. The audience will know nothing about okay, it. There was no interruption, so all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, thank you very, very Sweet. much. Um, nice, to, nice to chat. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.